0: And a four-day weekend for all the kids in school, and honestly, I was not expecting a whole... I wasn't sure what was going to happen, how many people would be in church, but we have a pretty good crowd for a four-day weekend, people traveling, and uh, so that's a good thing, amen, right? And um, so last week, I did something... I'm, I'm new here, I just want everyone to know I'm new, so I'm making lots of mistakes, uh, doing things wrong, it just happened. My wife says I do things wrong all the time, um, and that's probably true. Um, making lots of mistakes, but uh, last week I said the bad word that you're not supposed to say in this area. It starts with a W, um, and it has to do with the weather. It's not the word weather, but it, okay, I'm going to say it again and watch what's going to happen. It's going to happen tomorrow. I said the word wind, all right, and windy, and I'm getting used to this area and I even said last Sunday, I said, it's actually kind of a calm day. And then Monday hit. Um, wasn't it? Was it Monday? Was that the day? Monday or Tuesday? Monday. I, I came over to church. I couldn't even open the door to the vehicle. And I was like, you know, I, I was like, man, when they said don't use that word, watch out. But then I looked in the forecast for tomorrow. And I'm starting to learn when you look on the little app and it shows this stuff. You know, you know they need to start showing, like, bodies flying along with it, you know, and debris and everything else. I could not believe it. Uh, and so uh, I'm just not leaving the house tomorrow. How many of you are just going to stay in? It's, it's like, it's seriously like a hazard to leave your house. But uh, I hope I, I didn't mess it up for this week. But uh, I'm, I'm learning. But I do know it's a four-day weekend. A lot of folks are traveling. And so uh, please keep them in prayer as they're... Uh, out and taking advantage of the time off. But let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. And I won't spend a lot of time reviewing this morning because we're going to look at a, a handful of passages. Um, I, love, I love the Bible and I love um, the Old Testament stories. And we're going to look at a couple Old Testament things that will kind of relate to what we're looking at here in the New Testament. Uh, but in Matthew 5, uh, let's just uh, read, if you would, follow along with me as we go through uh, the words of Jesus. This was the Sermon on the Mount, but we're looking at the Beatitudes, the attitudes of a blessed man. Listen to what Jesus says. It says uh, in, in beginning of verse 1, it says, When the crowds had gathered, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So where left off last week. Notice where we're going to be looking at this week. He said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. For the sake of time, listen to these words. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless our study, Lord, on this Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever preached. None other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this sermon. I would say the most popular sermon that has ever been preached. And for the truth that is in it. And we thank you, uh, Lord, for your words. And may we see the importance of your words. These are your words. This is your message for all mankind. And so I pray, oh God, that you would bless, Lord, your words this morning. Help me uh, to communicate the word of God. I pray that it would be helpful. I pray that it would be practical. Uh, Lord, I pray that it would change us. Uh, Lord, to be more like you. Truly, it is our desire to be more and more like you. So bless your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I won't spend a lot of time on review, but this is a Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus Christ. And uh, we're we're looking at attitudes, okay? And how uh, attitudes, we said this, our attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. And Jesus... He emphasized the importance of the heart, what's what's going on in the inside. This is really probably one of the first sermons Jesus preached. It's one of the recorded sermons that Jesus preached. And it's interesting because he he really delves into our attitude, into our heart. What's going on the inside? And may I remind us all of something. What's on the inside will come out. Are you with me? And Jesus talked about this. And remember many times uh, they were critical of Jesus and his ministry. And in fact... There was a time where uh, they didn't do the ceremonial washing and they just grabbed some food and started eating it. And, and the religious leaders started to criticize Jesus and then they started criticizing them for, for uh, not going through the ceremonial washing. They were hungry and they're like, I just want to eat. And so they ate. And Jesus said something interesting. He says, it's, you know, he says... He says it's not what goes into into the, the the mouth and that goes into the belly and into man that defiles him. He says it's what's on the inside that come out that that comes out. That's what defiles a man. Do you kind of remember that? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Is is it's a heart condition. It's a heart matter. And you know, uh, understand that Jesus he was speaking to the heart of those people that were listening to him. And he, he, he begins then this sermon, and he talks about, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." And, uh, and understand this is this was the key to salvation. And then he says, "Blessed are those who mourn." And we could say it like this: This is the key to serenity or the key to peace." He says, "Blessed are those. Happy are those who go through that mourning process." We talked last week about mourning over even sin in our own lives. But then I want you to notice, he says, blessed are, the, blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We could say it like this. It's the key to success here on earth. He says, they will inherit the earth. He says, blessed are the meek. Many times this word is, is translated gentle or humble. You'll find different versions will translate it different ways. And sometimes you look in different passages, say gentle or to use the word humble. But I really like the word meek. Meek is an interesting word. And, and you say, well, what, is, what would be the definition of, of meekness? And I would say it is this. I, I believe that meekness, yes, is being gentle. Yes, it's humility. But I think it's even a little bit more than that. And meekness is this. Strength under control. Meekness. Um. It has this power, it has this ability, it has this strength, it has this might, but it's under control. How many of you have ever tried to ride a horse that's out of control? How many of have ever? I can remember one time growing up, my dad, you know, my animals just did not like my dad for some reason. They just, they did not get along with him. And uh, and I don't I mean it would be I mean we would go to someone's house and and my dad would be a little nervous about the dog or something you know and uh, and uh, it was I'll never forget this and they would say that dog the dog doesn't bite oh it's just a good dog it's never bitten anyone my dad reached down to pet it and bam it bit my dad's hand <laughs> and I was, and I was like wow you know. And so I remember one time we were on this like camping trip. You know, you go on vacation, you go camping, and and I have PTSD, seriously, from camping trips. Every time we went on camping trips, it rained like the whole time we were there. And we, when we camped, it was intense, and it was you know like sleeping bags and tents, and we had a little hatchback. I mean, and we would fit a family, lot, you know, all of us five into this little hatchback, crammed with with tents and all of this gear to go camping. And uh, we would, you know, get it. And then it would rain for like two, three days, you know, typically. And then the one dry day, uh, you know, everything's sopping wet. And we were getting ready to leave and getting ready to go, go home. And my little sister, she just kept nagging. We, I want to ride a horse. I want to ride a horse. I want to go horseback riding, and so finally, my dad's like, "Okay, we'll we'll find somewhere to go horseback riding." And so we get out, and and my dad even told the people, "Listen, animals and I do not get along." And he said, I, "I don't even know if I want to go horseback riding. I don't. Animals just don't like me." And they said, "We'll get you the tamest horse we have. It's broke. It's tame, and uh, and you know where this story is going." And so we all get on our horses, and they help my dad get up there. Uh, he's vertically challenged like myself. You know, but you know what I mean by that? He's short, okay? <clears throat> they pulled this little stool over, and they, they put him up on that horse. And I am not kidding. I cannot make this up. Within 20 to 30 seconds, the horse starts trying to buck him off, and it starts, it starts you know, kicking, and, and, and it starts reaching back, like it's almost like it wants to bite him. And my father said, this is the friendliest horse you have? I remember, I loved it, you know, I thought this is God getting back at him for all the times, you know, all those times. And I remember looking back and he was, He. you know, they're supposed to follow the other horse. Oh, no, that horse is down over the hill and back up over. here. And they would have to keep sending someone down to grab that horse. And they said, we just don't understand it. You know, but a horse is strong and powerful. But listen, when it's out of control, it's a dangerous thing. And I'm telling you, my dad almost lost his life that day. (laughs) Strength under control. Meekness is strength under control. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Meekness. Let me emphasize this as well. Many times people think that to be meek is a sign of weakness. Someone who's gentle or someone uh, who's humble or someone who, who exercises meekness. That this is some sort of sign of weakness. And, and in our culture and in our society, can I say this? Many times meekness is not something that's, that's revered. It's not something that's honored. Many times people see it as being weak. You know, uh, you'll see it growing up. You know, growing up, and I remember my father saying, listen, you know, you never start a fight. He would give me permission to finish it if we needed to, you know. But he would always say, you know, the best thing you can do is just walk away. To just walk away. And isn't it sad in our, in our culture? It's, it's this idea that if you walk away that you're weak. That if you don't get the last word in. That somehow that shows that, that you are weak and you are not strong. But can I tell you something? In the scripture, in the word of God, Jesus emphasizes something very important. And that is this. Is that meekness is strength under control. And that it is something that, that is, is honorable. And that God, to be like Christ, is to be meek. Jesus said that. And we're going to look at him as an example in a moment. But Jesus said, learn of me for I am meek. I think there's probably three great examples in the scripture. We're going to look at three examples. I see Moses, I see David, and Jesus. Each one exemplifying what this means to be, to be meek. Let me say it like this. Meek Is not weakness and being meek. Listen me, is chic. You got it. Meek is chic. Okay, it's in. In the spiritual lives, it's important. It really is. So I want to look at a few examples of the scripture where the Bible says that they were meek men and men who exemplified this. And can I tell you, these were not weak men. Think about this. Moses was not a weak man. He was a powerful man. But he exercised great meekness. David was a warrior. David, I mean, David who killed Goliath. David, yet he exercised. We're seeing a moment. He exercised meekness, and none other than the greatest example of all, Jesus Christ. Let's look at Moses for a moment in Numbers chapter twelve, verses one through thirteen. If you would just follow along, I want to give you some. And as we go through these, you can see some really practical things. Remember Moses, the leader of God's people, leads them out of Egypt. Look what it says. After a while, it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. His wife had died, and so Moses remarries. And she was not a Jewish person. There's a whole other teaching here. But he married a Cushite. Basically, he married someone who was black. And was not in their race and in their culture. And they began to criticize this. And it says this, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They begin to question Moses' leadership. They said, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Has he also spoken through us? Do you see what they're doing? His own, this is his own family, by the way. This is a family feud going on right here. Can you picture this family feud? They're all related. And this is their family. And it became a family squabble, which, by the way, kind of leached out to the community. By the way, there's a whole lot of preaching here, but can I say this, brothers and sisters of Christ and family of God, we need to be careful how we conduct ourselves because, listen, our testimony carries out into the community. And so this family feud now becomes something, becomes a national problem. The nation of Israel, God's people, and they begin to criticize Moses. And and they say, Hasn't he he spoken through us? And and it says, And the Lord heard this. Boy, there's a whole sermon right there. The Lord hears everything. Amen? He hears everything, and he sees everything. Now, Moses was a very humble man. In some versions, you'll say this, he was a very uh, meek man. Same word. Moses was a very humble or meek man. Notice this, it said, More humble or meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. As the Lord said to Moses, uh, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three went out. He says, we're going to have a meeting. All three of you, I want you to come out. And it was called the, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, where God would meet with them. It says, and then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. And he stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward. So he says, you two step forward. And so they do. And he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. God was upset. And When the cloud lifted above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous, and it became white as snow. And Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, big attitude change already. Talk about when God gives an attitude adjustment. Holy cow, like like literally, you talk about an attitude adjustment. Man, you talk about 180 degrees. Bam, there it was. By the way, when God spanks, he spanks hard, doesn't he? He says, I ask you not to hold against us the sin that we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb's. Womb with its flesh half eaten away. Notice, here's this meek man. What does Moses do? So Moses cried out to the Lord, please God, heal her. And you'll see that God speaks to, to, to Moses and he says, all right, in a week, give it a week. She needs to go and she needs to learn her lesson. <laughs> and so Moses prays for his sister. Can I just emphasize something? That took a lot of meekness it took a lot for moses here they were they were ridiculing him they were criticizing him they were questioning him who do you think you are moses and we're just as equally as important in all of these things and what does moses do he cries out to god on her behalf and god eventually does god does heal her you know that takes a lot of strength under control you know, one thing we don't even see, Moses never said, well, you know what, maybe I'll think about it for a few weeks. You know, I'll think about it. Let me just, let me, I'll, I'll think about it. Isn't it interesting how desperately Aaron needed and Miriam needed Moses all of a sudden, the servant of the Lord? And here they had spoken evil of him and they criticized him and they tore him down. And the Bible says it's interesting, it says that he was the meekest man in all of the earth. By the way, that's why God chose Moses to do that tough job. Because he needed someone who had great power and authority. And he had that. But he had it under control. Does that make sense? I want you to see another example with Moses. Because this is where, it really, where we really see it. Numbers chapter 14. Look at this. Numbers 14. Beginning in verse 10, it says this. Now this is just two chapters later. And by the way, people this people have... Think about this. People have to learn things the hard way, right? School of hard, the school of hard knocks. You just saw what happened to Miriam. What did Miriam do? Miriam said, you know, is Moses the only leader? And do we just have to listen to only Moses? Two chapters later, how many of you remember the, the, ten, the, the spies, the 12 spies that were sent in? Ten were, ten were Bad and two were good. How many remember that, right? They send the twelve spies to go in to the land. If you study in Numbers fourteen, you'll see that, that they sent the spies, they come back, and two of them says, We can do it, we can go in, we can overcome, and, and God is with us and we can have victory. But the people, let's see what happens. All right, you ready? Verse ten, it says, But the whole assembly talked about stoning them, talked about stoning Joshua, Caleb, And Moses. They're going to kill them. They're going to stone them because they said, We're going to go into the land. Let's possess the land that God has given us. But because of fear, what happens? The whole assembly talked about stoning them. Now God's going to intervene. The glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to the Israelites. Can I pause for a moment? This is not in the notes, this is free. Alright, this is free. Fear is a terrible, terrible thing that comes from the enemy. Fear is a liar. Fear will cripple you from doing what God has called you to do. Fear is not of God. Did you get that? Say it with me. Fear is not of God. Paul Told Timothy, For God hath not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, are you with me, and a sound mind. Boy, I can preach right here for a while, but can I tell you something? These were God's people called to go in and possess the land. And God had just, and we're going to read in a moment, God had delivered them from Egypt. And he had given the ten plagues. He had parted the sea, destroyed the Egyptian army. He had provided for them food and shelter and clothing. Their clothes didn't wear out. And God is providing for them and guiding them and leading them. He gave them a pillar of fire to keep them warm and to give them light. And he gave them a cloud by day to shade them. He gave them water in the wilderness. Are you with me? He fed them. He clothed them. He cared for them. And he performed miracle after miracle and demonstrated his mighty power. And then they come to cross the Jordan River and they say there's giants in the land and they we're we are like little grasshoppers and fear caused them not to do what God had called them to do. So much so that they began to be think crazy things. Such crazy things that the man that God sent them, that they had prayed for for over 400 years. Are you with me? They prayed and said, oh God, deliver us. Send us a deliverer. And so after 400 plus years of praying that prayer, God sends them Moses. And because of fear, the Bible says that they took up stones and they're going to stone him. Fear is a liar. Fear is of Satan. Fear, listen to me, fear is satanic. And may I just preach for just a moment? Can I have that, can I have that privilege to just preach for a moment? Can I tell you something? Fear has gripped the American church. It is time for God's people to quit living in fear and living, huddling in their little behind the TV sets and to start getting back out and doing what God has called us to do. Somebody bear witness this morning. Fear has crippled the church. The church is no longer this courageous body that God has called us to be. And now we're literally huddled and hiding and we're afraid. Can I tell you something? God has not given us that spirit. That is not of God. Are you with me this morning? Hey, if you're watching online, I'm just going to encourage you. I understand some have major health issues, but it blows my mind. People in their 20s and 30s who have no health issues, no health conditions, are still sitting at home, curled up, afraid to go outside. God, help us. That is not what God has called us to be and to do. Are you with me this morning? It is time the church quits living in fear. Fear will cause us to do crazy things. Fear, cause, look at this. And you know what? You might say, some of you might listen. I'm preaching to you right now. You might be listening and say, well, I'm going to get mad. Well, what are you going to do? Not come? <laughs> come on now. <laughs> come on. Hey. Here's the thing. We, would, we read that story. Please. We read that story, and you know what we do? We look at them and we criticize them and say, those people, look what they did. Look how they acted. Look, look at that. That is, all. Oh, that is, and we will judge them. But can I say something? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord, and we, as God's people, really need to wake up and quit living in the spirit of fear. Amen? We have to. There's too much at stake. The church has dwindled in the last two years. The effectiveness of the church has dwindled. And now people no longer engaged in the church, in participating in church. And you know what? I believe this. The devil sits back and goes, I use one of my favorite tools, fear. Fear. Fear possesses people to take up stones and to literally try to kill the man of God. So what does God do? That was all free. <laughs> if you don't like it, it was the part my wife, the part she put in the sermon, okay? <laughs> it says, The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? That's what it's about, folks. Listen to me. Do we, true, we say we believe in God, but we don't believe in Him enough to overcome our fear. Come on now. In spite of all the signs I have performed among them, hasn't God been good to us? Hasn't He not provided for us? Has He not taken care of us? By the way, as we said, we're poor in spirit. We have nothing. Listen to me. He is our everything. We cannot live each day without Him. It's all Him. He says, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make unto you a nation greater and stronger than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. And by, by your power you brought these people from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. And they have already heard that you, Lord are with these people and that you, Lord, have been, have, seen, uh, have been seen face to face and that your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by the night. And if you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them uh, on an oath. So he, slaughtered, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. He said, that's what they're going to say. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love. Aren't, don't you love this, the nature of God? Forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punished the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love. Listen to this. Don't you love that great love of God? Forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Do you see why God chose Moses? A man of great power and authority, but he had strength under control. Think about this. They were taking up stones to kill him. And what does Moses do? He prays for them and says, Father... God, listen, forgive them and please don't destroy them. God said, I'm going to wipe them out and start over with, with the few of you. And start all over. And Moses cries out. Do you see that, that meekness, strength under control? Look at David for a few moments in 1 Samuel 24. In 1 Samuel 24, David. Before that, uh, Psalm 37, Listen to Psalm 37, 11. I apologize, but I want you to see this. This is the words of David. David said this, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Does that verse sound familiar? Who quoted that in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus quoted David and said, the meek will inherit the earth. Notice David, an example. David, a warrior. David, a man who had slain The Bible says they said his tens of thousands. David, this mighty man of valor, the one who killed Goliath. Yet we see him exercising meekness. Do you remember Saul became very jealous of David? Notice this account. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of the En Gedi. It's the place of the kid. I've actually been there. There's all these little goats about this tall, and they can climb and stand on almost anything. I remember looking over out of our bus when I was getting ready to get and they were on top of all the cars in the parking lot. The place of the kid. They're these, these cute little goats. They're still there after all these years. It was named after those little, the little place of the kid, the little goats. They look like little mountain goats. They're tiny little things. They're cute little things. I'm sure they're delicious, too. Uh, amen? Right. Amen. <laughs> Isn't it hunting season or something? I, listen, I love all God's creatures. Amen? Right next to my mashed potatoes and gravy. Um, anyway, it says that David was in the desert of the Engedi, the place of the kids. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and, and, his, and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Right there it is. That's why it's called the Engedi, the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. And a cave was there. You you can't make this stuff up. This is in the Bible, by the way. And Saul went in to relieve himself. So Paul's going to go into the cave to use the bathroom, all right? He's going to use the porta potty in the back of the cave. And David and his men were far back in the cave. They were already hiding in the cave from Saul. And the men said, this is the, the, the day the Lord spoke of. And when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, I have a crazy imagination here. Can I just pause for a moment? Are some of your minds my I mean, this is, Saul's going in there to relieve himself. And now David's crawling up there. I'm sure he's holding his nose or something. And he's going up there, you know. And this is in the Bible, okay. And what happens, notice what he does. He cuts off a corner of his robe. But when he does, verse it says... After David, uh, his conscience had stricken him... For he cut off a corner of his robe... And he said to his men... The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master... The Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him... For he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men... And did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave... And called out to Saul... My Lord, the king... When Saul looked behind him, David bowed. Listen to this. Look at this. Here's meekness. David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He falls on his face and bows down to King Saul. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? Here's a whole other sermon. This one's free too. Don't listen to everything you hear. Quit listening to everything you hear. I've only been here a couple weeks. My second week here, I already had someone come up to me and say, hey, is it true that you were talking bad about one of the churches in town because they have a coffee shop? You want to know the answer to that? No. We're probably going to have one someday. Amen? I mean, but don't listen to everything you hear. I was like, man, that didn't take long. Two weeks and people are already saying stuff. I was like, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm fitting right in. I can care less if they have a, if you have a massage parlor, that's fine. Whatever, you know, do it for Jesus. Amen. If you need a little caffeine drink some. Well, I don't know. I don't get it, but it just blows my mind. And here David said, listen, you, people are saying these things about me. It's not true. It's not true. David showed his loyalty. He says, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father. He called him his father. Talk about reverence and respect. He said, look at this uh, piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing, of rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil do- doers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A, a, a dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished his saying, Saul, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? Notice what Saul does, and he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You see the meekness of David? Strength under control. He could have snuffed out Saul's life. He could have killed Saul. Saul was Hunting him down and pursuing him. And he had every opportunity. But he exercised strength under control. This is long before David was king. Look at this other account. Near the end of his time of king in 2 Samuel. We're almost done. Just bear with me. 2 Samuel chapter 16. Look at this. I want you to see that this was not a one-time occurrence in the life of, of David. A David who said that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And by the way, did you notice what meekness does? Meekness is this. Meekness is strength under control. It's this. Letting God fight our battles for us. He says, let God, I'll let God judge. I'll let God do this. When we're not exercising meekness, we are taking things into our own hands. We are trying to take control. We are trying to do it ourselves, in not letting God. Absalom, his son, rises in rebellion. David has to flee for his life. But there's this amazing story that shows David's restraint, his meekness. It says, as King David approached Behurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. And his name was Shimei, son of Gera, And he cursed as he came out. Look at this. Think about it. Picture this. And he pelted David. David's the king. God's anointed And he pelted David and all of the king's officials with stones. Though all the troops and the special guard—remember David's mighty men—they were dude, they were they were like special forces. These guys were the real deal. Okay, he has his special forces on both sides, on the right and the left. And he and he cursed. And Shimei said, "Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel." and he pelted David and the king's officials with stones the bible says and the lord had he says the lord had repaid you for all the bloody uh, all the blood you shed in the household of Saul by the way david did not kill saul saul killed himself and, and david made an oath that he wouldn't kill the king's family and he didn't so this is a, once again lies and twisted just twisted garbage that this man is just pursuing by the way it was it's kind of like like the news, you know, everything's twisted. Here we go. And he says this, he says, in whose place you have reigned, the Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son. Don't you love when people speak, uh, saying what God did, but God didn't do it? You know what I mean? He says, you have come to, you have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. And all God's people said, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what most people, they would have been like, oh, get him. I mean, you have to like that guy. He goes, let me just, let me take him out, king. Let me take him out. But the king said, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord had said to him, curse David, who can ask Why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more then, this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road. While Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him... Cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. Throwing dirt on the king. Yet notice the restraint of David. David who said, the meek shall inherit the earth. And by the way, we know the end of the story for David. God restores him back to his kingdom. Amen? And God fought his battles. You see, when we're not exercising meekness, we are taking it into our own hands. We are playing God. The last example is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said in Matthew 11, He says, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. In Matthew 21, He says this The king comes meek and sitting on the colt, the foal of an ass. Would you look at this one last verse with me? Matthew 26, verse 53. listen to these words. Peter had just cut off the ear of the servant, Malchus. Jesus was then betrayed by Judas. They're in the the garden. And as they're there, being betrayed, the sword's drawn. Peter takes out the sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus then later in meekness performs a miracle. He heals one of the men who were taking him to kill him. And he tells Peter, put the sword away. But I want you to listen to these words. He says this. This is Jesus. Do you think I cannot call in my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. A legion is upwards of six, could be upwards of even more than six thousand. He says, I could have called 12 legions. You know, the song used to say 10,000 angels. No, it's more than that. It's over 72,000 angels. Do you remember in Egypt, one angel went through the land of Egypt and slain the firstborn of each household? There's a story in the Old Testament. The Assyrian army surrounded King Hezekiah in Jerusalem and the name was Sennacherib and Sennacherib had completely surrounded it and study history. It's an amazing story. But Sennacherib basically says, you're done. You're over. You're wiped out. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah is beside himself and he calls out for Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, what's going to happen? Isaiah said, it's all good. God's going to take care of you. You're fine. Don't lose any sleep over. And he he falls on his face and he cries out to God. Here's what happens. One angel. One angel goes through the Assyrian army and kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one evening, in one night. Snakrib wakes up and sees that his army has been decimated. And he has to leave and he goes back home. And by the way, his own sons kill him and take over the throne. You say, "Why are you saying that?" That was one angel, and Jesus said this. Jesus said to Peter, "Do you not realize that I could, have, I can call more than twelve legions of angels like that angel? Are you with me? Who could come and they could deliver me?" But you want to know something? Jesus, the greatest of all examples, exercised meekness. There is no greater strength the strength that the Lord Jesus Christ has. Amen? There's no greater power. The star breather. Listen to me. the, the, The one who created all things. The one who spoke everything into existence. There he was. As he hung on the cross. What does he do? He exercises meekness. Strength under control. And in midst of all of that, Jesus, he took every blow... He took every strike, he, he was spit upon, He was beaten, He was bruised for our iniquities. And by His stripes we were healed. I don't know about you, but listen to me, I thank God for the meekness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek. And Jesus could have called those 12,000 plus legions of angels. But what did he do? He still went to the cross for you and I. Give him praise and honor and glory this morning. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord for his meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the opposite of. In fact, it takes a whole lot more to exercise meekness. To turn the other cheek. To treat others the way we want to be treated. Would you stand with me this morning? In a moment we have a word of prayer, but let me just emphasize it like this as we're finished. Let's make this real practical this morning. What would meekness look like in our lives? What would meekness look like in our marriage, in our homes, in our families? You know, over the years, been a pastor and in churches and things, and I've had I've had people say things like this, well, Pastor Joe, that's just so-and-so. That's just how they are. That's just can I say, no, that's not acceptable. Are you with me? You know? I've been in church where they're like, that's just that's that person, that's their personality. They're just they would say to me, Pastor Joe, I just want you to know, I just I just let people have it. I did that's just my personality. No? What you're admitting is you're not really spiritual. Okay? Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the fruit, the manifestation of the Spirit, you know what one of them is? We say we'll love and joy and all that, but one of the manifestations of the Spirit is meekness. Strength under control. Sometimes we think that if I let people have it, and I just tell them, you know, and so what would meekness look like in our homes as parents? Maybe if we are a little we're more meek with our kids. Husbands and wives, if we're a little exercising a little more meekness yeah maybe we can let them have it maybe they were wrong and we're going to tell them all about it or maybe if in our marriage and in our homes in our families and can I just say this let's be honest churches and church someone wronged you what if we had a little meekness and instead of fighting back and arguing and fighting and feuding that we said you know what I'm going to pray for this person What about that person at work, okay? What about that person at work who makes your life miserable? And they do. They try to push every button. And you're just, you're going to let them have it. Can I say this? Maybe you should just pause for a moment. Let God fight your battles, amen? And say, I'm not going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work and and do what David did. And and, and say, "Let, let God, let God fight my battles, okay? Let God fight my battles. Maybe Moses. Moses prayed for his enemies. Jesus said to do the same thing in this Sermon on the Mount. He says, pray for your enemies. And so we're going to pray, but can I say this? Let's pray that God would give all of us a spirit of meekness in our everyday life, at work, at home, in our families, in our relationships. Boy, can I tell you something? What God could do with this in our lives if we would say, I'm not going to try to fight my battles anymore. I'm going to let the Lord take care of it. And instead of, instead of me lashing out and letting people have it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for them. Are you with me this morning? That's what it would look like. May that be our spirit. Amen. Amen, God's people. Let's pray. Lord, I pray.